Hey, this is Nathan Jenkins from Loon Mountain Ministry, and I want to thank you for checking out our podcast today. We welcome you to join us, the trees, the rocks, and all of creation as we worship our great God. Enjoy the message. Good morning, guys. Um, today, for you guys at home, we are reading Job 40, 3 through 5. You guys don't have to stand, but um, everybody else, if you would please read with me. Job answered, I'm speechless, in awe, words fail me, I should never have opened my mouth, I've talked too much, way too much, I'm ready to shut up and listen. Amen. Amen. And all the wives in the audience said, Amen. Amen. (laughs) We have been going, is this thing on, am I good? Uh, Yeah? Can you guys hear me out there? I, I enjoy uh, the message uh, for that passage. Uh, I've been telling you guys, uh, like, uh, we actually in um, staff meeting the other day went around and asked, you know, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Oh, hello, there we are. Thank you, Mark, for being here and helping us out. Yes. Oh, yeah, actually, Mark, can you bring it down a little bit? I'm sure the people still sleeping upstairs really that chose not to go to church don't want to go to church. <laughs> um. Uh, we asked, you know, what's our favorite book of the Bible? And for me, it's Psalms. I love the Psalms. Is that good? How's that, buddy? A little bit more? That, that's fine? That's good. He's, he's saying that's good. Um, I really like the Psalms, and I think I've read it so much over the years. Uh, you know, I grabbed the message version of it a little while ago, and I've been enjoying the message version of the Psalms. But here's the message version of the book of Job that we've been going through now over a year. And we've told you this, and you're probably getting annoyed hearing it over and over again, but the book of Job is in a series of what the Bible, or what um, is literature in the Bible called the wisdom literature. And there's three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Job. Uh, And the book of Job is what we've been going through because we uh, agreed that as a church, we're young. As this local body, we're only seven years old. Uh, Drew and I and Nathan, uh, as your leaders, are an average age of about 32. Uh, And so we're young and uh, we need need wisdom. So we decided to dive in. One thing we've learned about the Word of God is that you and I and all humanity are born in the same predicament. Every single one of us is born into the same predicament. The Bible says this in the book of Romans, that just as one decision by Adam and Eve allowed sin to enter the world, and sin became heretical, and it passed to all humanity, the Bible says, therefore, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is not a popular message, but that is the truth of the word of God. All of us are born with the disease of sin. And we learned a couple weeks ago that the only cure for sin came from heaven. So we've been talking a lot about the vaccinations and you know how what temperature it needs to be stored at and what should you get it, should you not, whatever. And we talk about cures and whatever. The only cure for sin didn't come from here. It wasn't scientific. It wasn't discovered. It came from a different dimension. It came Uh, from heaven because the the cure for sin had to be perfect a perfect sacrifice and Jesus is the only perfect sacrifice so the Bible says that you and I are born alike with this disease called sin what makes it different after that is when God speaks what makes us different is our response 
So we've been, we've been hanging out in the book of Job for about 38 chapters, 35 chapters, and God's been silent. As the readers, we get to see behind the scenes what Job doesn't see, and we see God's, you know, celestial staff meeting in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we as the readers are like, oh, I don't like this. Job has no clue what's going on behind the scenes, and the Bible's very clear that Job doesn't deserve what's happening to him, that this is just some crazy celestial bet going on in the, the staff meeting of heaven. And God says to Satan, go for it. I bet you Job doesn't turn against me. You can do anything except for harm his health. And then in the next round, uh, Job doesn't, you know, curse God. And Satan says, oh, let me, let me take his health. It's what a man holds on to. I'll, I'll, I'll get him to curse you. And, and Job never curses God, but he doubts God hard. And for many chapters, him and his friends go back and forth, and his friends, as you've seen, says, you know, it's something that you did, it's something that you did. And we know from the first three chapters that it's nothing that he did, you know, and it's really kind of interesting book about God and helping us understand God. And uh, But what I want you to really understand now is God speaks. God speaks, and Job's response is very important. We, we sang earlier, if you look in your bulletin, we sang earlier this song, I Will Exalt You. That's new to me, Drew. Is that a new one? Yeah. No, it's not a new one. No, it's actually a pretty old one. Oh, okay. It's a really old one we haven't sang a lot. I forgot. Anyway, it says in the chorus, uh, my hiding place, my refuge. Here's, this, this is where the enemy would like to, to, the enemy loves to dumb things down. He, he, he likes to, he likes to get us to think um, in, in gray, when there are some things that are very black and white. And, and this hiding word is very black and white. Every human, every human is hiding. Every human is hiding. The difference is the word after hiding. Are you hiding from or are you hiding in? Let me say that again. Are you hiding from or are you hiding in? Now, every human is hiding from something, and every human is hiding in something. There's, and the enemy would like for you to think that there's a black and white. Well, there's not hiding, they're just as existing. Well, we know this is not just existing. Your hope, right, your trust, your faith, that is hiding. And when it comes to God, you're either hiding from God or you're hiding in God. And that is on full display when God speaks. The book of Colossians is very clear that God speaks to every humankind. That God's invisible qualities, right? His power, his majesty, his creativity, his ability to save are made visible by what we see here on earth, even if they do not have the word of God. Even if they, and, and, and when God speaks, the difference between humans is our response. And a human has, a has the option to say, I'm going to hide from you, God. Or I'm going to hide in you. And you know what's really difficult? 
The natural response of the human is to run from God and hide. We see it in the first human beings, don't we? The story of creation, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God the Father walked with Adam and Eve and communed with them and was in perfect unity and harmony. And then the enemy was all about disrupting that unity and harmony. He wanted to separate that. He knew how to do it and he did it. And do you notice when God comes back and says, where are you? Which is a pretty funny question for God to say. He knew where they were. He knew what was going on. But he was giving them a chance. I believe a good father, a kind father, was giving his children a chance. A chance to respond. A chance to repent. And I wonder... I was reading the creation story, and I've never heard this thought of before. And I don't know if this is to lead theologically down a wicked bad road. I don't know. I'm a ski bum pastor. I'm not paid that kind of money to be sharp theologically. So if I'm doing something right now that's wrong, come and talk to me afterwards. I wonder if the story would be different if in Genesis chapter 3, when God shows up and says, where are you? If Adam and Eve would have come out and said, God, we're here. We're here and we're really afraid and we're really scared and we don't know what to do, but we are sorry. And we have done something really wrong, but we repent and we are sorry and we have broken trust with you and it was not what we were supposed to do and we're sorry. What would be? I don't know. I don't know. They didn't do that, though. What they do, they, they not only did they hide, they were like, ah, hide, right? Because of shame. Then what happens with shame? After shame comes blame. And right away, they go, the serpent. He made us do it. The woman. The woe man. She made us do it. Right? The, it, they, it, there was not a point where they hit their knees and said, Lord, I'm sorry for I have chosen to do my own thing against you. I didn't listen, Dad. Now it costs me. I, I don't know. I don't know what the difference would be. I, I'm not sure. Okay? I just think it's an interesting thought. Job now, right? So Adam and Eve came first and Job came later. And Job essentially is in a similar spot, kind of. God's been quiet. He's been gone. Things have been awful for Job. And God shows up. And God shows up in a storm, and he speaks out of the eye of the storm. And what's beautiful is this is Job's response to God. And it's not, where were you when I needed you? You, you let me down. Ah! Do you see it? What, what, what was the response from Job? I am speechless. I'm in awe. Words fail me. I should have never opened my mouth. Poof. And down in front of the Lord he goes. See, we are all born in the same predicament. It's our response to God's voice that's the difference. Ultimately, Jesus is the difference. His blood, the forgiveness of sin, allows us to even have the ability to respond. But there's an element on us. God is not a puppeteer. 
He's not a puppeteer. You have the choice to respond when you hear God's voice. Will you respond like Job? Will I respond like Job? Or will you respond like Adam and Eve? Will I respond like Adam and Eve? Let's figure out how to cover this thing up. Ooh, let's cover it up. And when, it, when the cover up doesn't work, he did it. He did it. She did it. Is that, is that you? Sure seems like our country lately. He did it. She did it. They did it. It was them. They did it worse. He did it first. Is that your response when dad shows up? Was your response go, oh. Now, here's the difference. The difference is fear. The difference is fear. And the difference is the root of the fear. Fear is a really good thing. And it's a response. It's emotion that God has given us. Now, and we all have it. It's just like hiding. Remember the from and in? We all have fear, and we all are hiding. Are you hiding from God, or are you hiding in God? Now, we all have fear. What's the fear rooted in? If the fear is rooted in shame, if the fear is rooted in shame, which is bad theology, by the way, that Jesus isn't enough to cover my sin, oh, if he knew my sin, or that's shame, and a lot of people like it, it's also pride. I don't want to admit how bad I am. I'm going, to, I'm going to hold on to this persona till I go down with the ship burning. You ain't fooling nobody. <laughs> but, if, but, but if fear is rooted in shame, it will always cause you to hide from God. But if your fear is rooted in love, correct theology, a God who loves and gave his son to die for you and me, that he loved the world, that he gave his only son, if your fear is rooted in the correct belief of who God is and who you are, it will always respond in hiding in. See the difference? You follow it back and you get to this root. And if the root is shame, it's bad theology. And if the root is love, it's good and it will send you into God versus from God. And Job must have had good theology. His belief was good because when God showed up, it was fearful. He was afraid. It was a big boom. And it was a cosmic conversation of proportions that's insane. I mean, he talked about the galaxies and he talked about the beasts and he talked about the ocean depth. Things that were outside of, of Job's dimension. So that's fearful. But Job didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't say it was my wife's fault or these friends made me do it. He said, I'm speechless. And I come before you. And I lay down. When fear is rooted in shame, you will hide from God. When fear is rooted in love, you will hide in God. And there is beautiful verses. What did I do with my phone? There's beautiful verses in God's word about his love and what love does. Beautiful, beautiful verses. Here's one from John, 1 John 4, 17 and 18. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. 
Such love has no fear, because perfect love casts out fear. If we are afraid, it is our fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced the perfect love of God. If that ain't clear, I don't know what is. That's 1 John 4, 17 and 18. You ought to write that down if you're struggling with shame. Because if you're struggling with shame, either you don't understand God, or you're way too prideful to admit where you're off. Romans 2, 4. Or do you not show contempt for the riches of God's kindness and his forbearance and his patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and not his anger? Anger is righteous, but it isn't what makes us say we're sorry. If you say you're sorry, Baptist, because of God's anger, you are a legalist. And you're a legalist. And you're a legalist. But if it's his grace and his kindness and his mercy that leads you to say you're sorry, you're a son or daughter. You're adopted. That's what you are. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that nothing will separate us, not height, nor depth, nor any creature from heaven or from earth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. The love of God. Nothing can separate us. I'd like to end this with the story of how great thou art. The song we sing at the end of every um, mountaintop church service. There was only one mountaintop church service that we didn't sing it at. It was my first mountaintop church service without skip. I didn't know that we sang it after every mountaintop. So I didn't. Oh, there was a lady that met me in the back of the church up on top of Loon at the end of the service. I have sung it ever since. She was not happy. <laughs> and rightfully so, because it is an incredible song. But I love the story of this song. It was first written by a Swedish poet in the 1800s, 1880s. He wrote it from his home after he ran home from work in an absolute downpour. One of those downpours where you look outside of your office and you think, do I run for the car or do I wait? Do I run for the, for the, do I go into the grocery store or do I wait? You know what I'm talking about? And it is pouring and it is crack thunder and lightning and it's right over top of you. And it's one of those storms that you know if you just wait 15 minutes in the office or in the house, it'll probably let up and move on. Well, he ran home at his house there in Sweden on the ocean, and it was a gale. It was a big storm. But when he got into the house, he was soaking wet. He got into the house, it subsided, and the storm moved on. Have you ever gone out after a storm like that, and the sun comes back out, and the songbirds start singing, that, that calm, and that smell, oh, that sweet smell of summer rain. Well, this poet saw all this that was happening, and you know what broke his silence? The church bells in the town went off after this storm when it was silent. The church bells went off, and he penned the words, O Sturgud, O Sturgud, which is O Mighty God. And he wrote it as a poem. And what's incredible about those times he published the poem in the newspaper. So a couple weeks later, it came out in the newspaper. 
And a Swedish folk songwriter was like, that's great. And he puts the music to this poem. Then a Russian missionary was in Sweden, heard the song and was like, wow, that's a great song. And he brought it back to Russia. And Russia began to sing it in the early 1900s. Well, no what? There were some missionaries from Russia that went to India. There was a theologian from England that was at India. And these missionaries from these missionaries from Russia were singing this song. And this theologian from England was like, "Wow. That is incredible." And so he was like, "Oh, I got to translate that into English." So he translated it into English. And just almighty God just wasn't ringing for him. And he came up with how great thou art. Well, in the early 1950s, this English theologian was asked to speak at a college in America. So over he comes in the early 1950s. And he speaks this thing and he has the choir sing this rendition of how great thou art. In the early 1950s. Well, there was a cowboy country singer sitting in the audience, and he was like, whoa, that's amazing. He owned a company called Mana Music, a Christian music company back in the 50s. He went right up to him and said, what was that? Who wrote that? Where did it come from? And the missionary said, well, I heard it in, in India from some Russian, you know, from some Russian, you know, uh, missionaries, and I, I, I translated it, and I brought it here. And the guy said, well, I want to buy it. And he bought it. And he put it together and he put it on the radio. And guess who heard it on the radio? Dad, George Beverly Shea. And George Beverly Shea, who was singing for the Billy Graham Crusades, said to Billy, hey, Billy, listen to this song. And Billy was like, wow, that song is incredible. And then in the late 50s, ready for this? They sang it at the Madison Square Garden Revival. They had 16 meetings at the Madison Square Garden Revival, and they were televised. And they sang How Great Thou Art in the late 50s. How many times do you think it was estimated that Billy Graham's crusade from Madison Square Garden was viewed that year? 96 million. A third of the population of America heard how great thou art. And guess who heard it? Elvis Presley. Oh, Elvis Presley heard how great thou art and was like, whoa. So he called up old George Beverly Shea and said, what was that? So that's how great thou art. So, so then Elvis did how great thou art, not once, but twice, a recorded studio version and a live version. And you know what? Elvis Presley won two Grammys on that song. One with the live version and one with the recorded. Two Grammys. And if that wasn't enough, in 2011, Carrie Underwood decided to put it on her album. And guess what her album got? A Grammy. How Great Thou Art has had three Grammys. And you can trace it all the way back from an American cowboy to a British theologian to a Russian missionary in India to a Swedish folk writer to a Swedish poet. 
who was moved by the power of God after a storm. I just find that story fascinating. And they say that How Great Thou Art is only the second most popular hymn of all time. Behind what, everybody? Amazing Grace. Only behind Amazing Grace. And it's crazy because 1954, when it was sung at that college, wasn't that long ago, was it, Dad? What happened in 1953? You showed up. Dad showed up. It wasn't that long ago. 1954, How Great Thou Art showed up in America. It's only one year younger than Dad that could have been classmates. Him and How Great Thou Art. To me, that's fascinating. But here's the difference. That Swedish poet, after the storm, said, how great is God? But that's our response. That's our option. After your storm, are you going to hide from him? Say, that was awful. I don't want to put faith in you. I don't like you. I don't like the way this is going. I would write a different story. I don't like you. I'm hiding from you. Or does the storm cause you to hide in God? For when you hide in God, your story is eternal. I think this How Great Thou Art story is incredible. But when you hide from God, your story is temporal. Your story is just temporal. That's it. Good for you. You hid your little self over there and you're done. That's it. But when you hide in God, your story is eternal. It's not natural to hide in God. It's natural to hide from Him. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need God's Word. And that's why we need each other. So, oh, oh, oh. Hide in, not from. Oh, Marcus, hide in. Not from. And I'm hoping that I remember and you remember every time we sing How Great Thou Art. That it's going to nudge us to hide in. And keep us from hiding from. Jesus, thank you for stories like that. Thank you that we get to be a part of a world like that. Where we get, oh man, how great thou art. And it's incredible. Thank you for that Swedish poet. Thank you for that British theologian. Thank you for the missionaries from Russia. Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you that he paved a way that we could respond to you and your voice, God, where there's forgiveness of sins. Cause our fear to be rooted in love and not rooted in shame. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We here at Loon Mountain Ministry are committed to loving God, serving community, and enjoying mountains. We want to thank you for being a part of our collective high five this week as we seek to be a light in the White Mountains and all around the world. Please feel free to reach out to us at info at loonmtnministry.com so we can get more connected. See you guys.